Food for Thought on News Talk 760 WJR is presented by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and by the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food-secure state. Here's your host, Dr. Phil Knight. Welcome, everyone, and thanks for listening. The social determinants of health are the conditions in which people are born, grow, work, live, and age, and the wider set of forces and systems shaping the conditions of daily life. These forces and systems include economic policies and systems, development agendas, social norms, social policies, political systems, individual choices, and just life, or people who have experienced a life upset. Conditions in the places where people live, learn, work, and play affect a wide range of health risks and outcomes. I'm interested in learning more about this topic that is causing a shift in the conversation about how we look at hunger, food security, and its relationship to health and health care. Join us here in just a moment when Jerry and I welcome Michelle Marshall, the Vice President with Solera Health, to discuss the social determinants of health. We'll be right back. Get in touch with the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Visit fbcmich.org. Welcome back, everyone. Dr. Phil Knight here with Jerry Brisson in the studio. Jerry, looking dapper as always. Uh, well, just trying to keep up, doctor. Just well, trying to keep up. Run fast. Run fast, my <laughs> friend. As promised, folks, Michelle Marshall is on the our WJR line here, Vice President for Social Determinants of Health with Solera Health Network. And Michelle, welcome to Food for Thought. Wonderful to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, okay, so let's do a little background with you, Michelle, and um, you haven't been the Vice President of Social Determinants of Health at Solera uh, all of your life. You've you've worked with us intimately here in the Feeding America world uh, for a number of years, So, so just tell us about our listeners about yourself and how you have found yourself to be the Vice President of Social Determinants of Health at Solera. Absolutely. Thank you. So, yes, as, as, as Phil shared, I um, recently left Feeding America, where I was heading up the health and nutrition world for the national organization and had worked on everything over the nine years there from, you know, the emphasis on increasing uh, the importance of healthy food to the bank network to conducting research and programs to really help encourage healthier choices through our distribution channels. And increasingly over the, uh, over the um, last couple of years, spent a lot of time thinking about how to build stronger connections and bridges between the healthcare sector and the food insecurity world. And um, that ultimately, uh, after nine and a half years at Feeding America, led me to learn more about the healthcare sector and introduced me to Solera Health. And Solera Health is an integrated benefits network that works with payers to contract with non-clinical and non-traditional service providers out in the community. And so um, just connecting the dots back to food insecurity, really have the opportunity to think about how do we package and position our, our food insecurity intervention to be uh, paid for by the healthcare sector. And I think we are seeing some really promising 
uh, work so far in, in the world of diabetes prevention and medically tailored meals and really excited to see what else we can expand uh, so that we just have a much more cohesive and holistic way of helping people be healthy no matter where they live and Well, I will say um, it has been a joy to work with you for these years, uh, certainly through Feeding America, as you've helped all 200 plus food banks try to get a better handle on the impact our food is having on the people we serve. And we know that one of the significant impacts is on health. Now, we know that's physical and mental health, but um, but. When we started this work, there was really no line of sight to that at all. I mean, nobody was even thinking about it. I think we were really focused on keeping food from going to waste. But once you get to a certain size and you're distributing billions of pounds of food, you really have to start thinking about some of these other impacts, not only from the standpoint of what are you really doing for the community, but also from the standpoint of who else should be part of this conversation. So having you over at Solera is certainly a big win for all of us because we know that healthcare should be significantly invested in this conversation. Absolutely. You know, I think over the last 10 years as a food bank network, we really have kind of shifted our identity in the communities and really have had to think long and hard about who we are and who we want to be. And I think still today there's there is disagreement about what that role is. But I think increasingly, folks, there's there's just recognition that the interconnectedness between people who are struggling with hunger and other health conditions is just so clear. And now I think we have the strongest evidence we've ever had to understand the coexistence of these problems. And now I think we're really at the point where we go, well, what do we do about it? What does it mean for us? What does it mean for our partners? What does it mean for the healthcare sector? And I think simultaneously you see the healthcare sector kind of coming to terms with the fact that the traditional healthcare services aren't what are keeping or, or keeping people from being sick or helping people to be healthy all the time. And so they're really thinking differently about their role outside of the clinic walls. And so the timing and the um, the uh, syncing up of these kind of internal uh, evolutions, I think, is, is, is really important. And I think we're starting to see just all kinds of innovation and exploration about how we, how we think about our roles in people's lives uh, differently. Well, and I want to tease this up. I know we're going to have to go to a break in just a minute, but I want to tease up an idea here. It's really, in my experience, moving from sick care to health care because we're never going to get control of the costs of being healthy if we only treat people when they show up sick. And so I think that has a lot to do with what Solera is trying to do in this whole prevention of chronic disease area. And I think when we get back from the break, we want to cover that really well. So, so that's a little bit of a tease as we're headed into the break. But uh, sick care versus health care and how we're going to move in that direction. And we'll be back in just a minute. He's Jerry Brisson. She's Michelle Marshall. She's the Vice President of Social Determinants of Health. For Solera, I'm Dr. Phil Knight. This is Food for Thought. It's Food for Thought with Dr. Phil Knight on WJR. We're back here on Food for Thought. Dr. Phil Knight, Jerry Brisson, and our guest, Michelle Marshall, Vice President for Social Determinants of Health at Solera. And Jerry, you teased up a question. Yeah, we want to know how we move from waiting till people show up someplace sick 
to spending money to keep them healthy. And I think that is, I mean, if I understand the mission of Solera, I think that's the wheelhouse. You nailed it. I mean, I think this is what we are really working to help create and make possible. And I think, you know, you're seeing shifts across the healthcare uh, spectrum from, you know, thinking about value-based care. So if you have a you know, a capitated amount of dollars to make people well, what are you going to do with those dollars? Well, chances are you're going to do a lot of things that are not happening in the clinic, but happening in their lives and their environments and communities. And I think we're starting to really see what might be possible. And, um, you know, there's been some some really interesting research coming out of the medically tailored meals interventions that are keeping people out of the hospital for that over that 30-day kind of hump that hospitals are really incentivized by. And I think what we are looking to help right, health plans to do is say, we're going to make it as easy as possible at Solera to have you access the, the plethora of high-quality services that, quite frankly, you either don't know about or maybe you're supporting through your philanthropic funds, and we want to make it part of your business. And, and so that's what we're really striving to make easier, make uh, streamlined, and make possible both for partners in the community and, and for health plans and providers. And it's, it's no small task. I'll, 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 I'll admit that, but I think the, the aspiration and the intention is exactly what you, what you framed up. How do we keep people healthy and give everyone a shot at, at good health, not just those who can afford it, and certainly um, not waiting until it's too late. And I'm going to just throw in a little bit of a food bank twist in this, too, because, you know, we get a lot of food, but the assumption is that in many cases we can just keep getting more free food to cover all of the food insecurity needs there are in the state. And, of course, we know that's not true, that the food we're going to get from here is going to cost something. We can still get some pretty low-cost food. We, we are still getting, obviously, a lot of donated food, but it costs money to even distribute that food. So, so having payers involved in this is really important to the safety net in terms of who wins when we win and how do we get them invested in the right amount in the right ways so that we can really have a food secure community. Absolutely. I think there's a misunderstanding across the board about how everything is funded out there, especially nonprofits. And I think um, when you start to open up the doors to what really happening and how these organizations are supported, you start to get a much more understanding about why that's challenging, why if you're constantly reliant on that grant cycle and those, you know, output measures to report on the grant rather than really thinking about what what good and what difference can we be making in people's lives, it, it limits the work that nonprofits can do. And I think, you know, if we can secure at least one stream of more sustainable funding and, and healthcare starts to think about the services like that food banks provide as part of their health services, we're really going to start to shift both how nonprofits can work and thrive and also I think how, how healthcare dollars can be really spent in the right places. Well, I think you're exactly right. In fact, you know, in researching for the show, I, I peek, took a peek at your LinkedIn and I saw last week where you had shared a pretty exciting article about um, an announcement from Health and Human Services Secretary Alex Azar. Um, And that's about the CMS that may allow hospitals to pay for housing and food through Medicaid. I mean, I read this article 
uh, Michelle, and I'm like, how far have we come so fast to have this even in the conversation? Absolutely. I mean, I think we are hearing things out of the federal government, out of state government, out of health plans and nonprofit. I mean, from all the people who are at the table here that we never would have dreamt of even a few years ago. And so I think the thing that everyone recognizes the unsustainable nature of what we've created, both in the social service and nonprofit sector and in the health sector. And I think folks are really willing to say, we don't have this figured out. Let's think about this differently. And so when you start to see dollars shift to, to in different ways, that's when you really know, okay, you know, we might be onto something. And so how do we make sure that, that we can deliver? Um, you know, if we can better align these incentives and better align these resources, I think there's, there's really no limit to what's possible as far as creating our healthier communities. So, you know, I want to I read just one paragraph here from this article and get you and Jerry both to comment on it. it and this is, um, th- again, this is Health and Human Services Secretary Alex Azar, who said, what if we gave organizations more flexibility so that they could pay a beneficiary's rent if they were in unstable housing? Or make sure that a diabetic had access to and could afford healthy, nutritious food? If that sounds like an exciting idea, I want you to stay tuned. Wow. You, Jerry, what's your reaction? You know, the, it's, there's so much historical to this. So I think about this. Why does healthcare focus on devices and drugs? Because of control. Right. If you put a device in somebody's body, that device is going to act a certain way and you know exactly what's going to happen after that device is put in, whether that's a stint or a new heart or there's, whatever it is. There's right? a joke here, but I'm just going to leave it like. <laughs> so the second thing is drugs, right? So there's a huge protocol for how drugs need to be tested before they can enter the market so that the healthcare system knows what's going to happen. But when you read the side effects of those drugs, that's sort of the collateral damage, if you will, right? Right. But the, the research is so thorough that the healthcare system has a really good idea and they have control over the outcomes. When you talk about things like housing and food, what scares healthcare is it's not as clear that they're in control of the outcomes, right? Are people going to stay in that? new house that you just gave them? Are they going to eat the food that you just gave them access to? And I think that's why the research aspect of this, and again, uh, Michelle, I think where Solera can be really helpful to us is in collecting the data that shows there's more control here than you think. So that's my reaction. Now I want to hear yours. Yeah, you know, I I, I think that's right. And I think the other piece of it is the perception of control. So there's also a lot of things that happen in medicine that we believe that we have control over, but the reality is the outcomes are always are very poor, so we keep doing it. <laughs> and so sometimes I think we are more comfortable holding the social service type interventions to a higher standard than we even do the things that are happening in medicine every day. Um, and so I think there's what what's in our control though is how we frame up the intervention and the consistency and reliability of the service that's provided. And I think that's one of our biggest challenges, quite frankly, in the, as we're thinking about defining our intervention, we need to be able to do it in the same way that these health, whether it be a, a drug intervention or another health care intervention does. There's some 
comfort in knowing exactly what that is, even if the outcome is less known or less clear or less consistent, as long as we can provide a consistent service, I think we would set ourselves up for much more kind of long-term success because that's the language that, that healthcare really speaks. So she's Michelle Marshall. She's the Vice President for Social Determinants of Health at Solera Health. And Michelle, how common is your position? Because I'm, <laughs> as we're talking about this, I'm, I'm thinking back that just a few years ago, I mean, social determinants of health is a relatively new conversation, popular conversation, I should say. And so are there a lot of health systems that are creating uh, positions similar to yours and attracting talent like you? You know, I would say that the term social determinants is kind of the hot, sexy word in healthcare right now. So there's not a conversation that I've been a part of in a health system or health plan in which folks aren't talking about the social determinants. The concept of social determinants is not new. Right. Um, but the, the interest in doing something about it is very new. And I think it, it, has, it presents all of us this opportunity, this window of time to say, how do we make sure it's not just the flavor of the day? How do we make sure that this is here to stay and that it, it remains and integrates itself into the health system in a really meaningful, sustainable way? And I think that's what's really exciting. I think we have an opportunity to turn these kind of problems, social determinants, which is kind of how it's always framed, into action, into, into solutions. And mm. I think that's where we can really turn the corner. I like that. Actions into solutions. Well, we're going to do a little bit of that on the other side of this break. He's Jerry Brisson. I'm Dr. Phil Knight. She is Michelle Marshall, the Vice President for Social Determinants of Health at Solera Health. We'll all three be right back in just a few moments. You're listening to Food for Thought with Dr. Phil Knight. Brought to you by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Welcome back, everybody. Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight here in the studio. Michelle Marshall's our guest. She's the vice president for the social determinants of health at Solera Health. And um, I, I, okay, go ahead. I know you got a question here. <laughs> I can't help myself. I know. Right? You it's got Michelle. Michelle on the I, I know. I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so here it is. Um, so I think the research around the impact of food on health is pretty substantial and it's and a lot of research has been around a long time there's been a whole lot done on diabetes and i know that that research has created a um if you will body of evidence that we can use to create an environment where we might get investment. And I think that's where we're sitting now on this issue as we look at what we have to do to move forward. And I wonder if we need to learn from the device manufacturers and the drug producers about how to get people to invest in this solution because they literally get millions, sometimes tens of millions or more dollars before a drug is even proven that it's going to work. They just have an inkling of, we think this might work, and people pour money on them because on the other side of that, the return on that investment is guaranteed. So how do we think about the return on investment in social determinants of health? Yeah, and if my if my chief health officer was here with me, he'd be rolling his eyes and his hands would be on his head because I think 
you know, his his uh, experience is that anyone can write down an ROI. Everybody has an ROI, and <laughs> and I think it, it it becomes really this is where it's really challenging because there's so many confounding factors when you're working in a community-based setting and you're working on all these complex issues that are allowing someone to be stable and well outside of a traditional healthcare setting. And it's really uncontrolled. And so I think there's all sorts of of math and ROI calculations that have happened. But I think what we are really trying to, to, to make clear and the way that we are really looking to form partnerships for food insecurity and financial wellness and fall prevention and things that are, you know, primed for community and uh, things happening outside the clinic is to how do we get folks to really focus on the outcome in their lane? So not to worry themselves so much with proving an ROI in their intervention. Let the health system do that on the back end. But if we can prove that we can make a difference on someone's food insecurity or food stability or financial wellness, the, the math will sort itself out on the back end. And I think we are kind of working up Dream in, in the sense that, you know, the billing codes and the financial incentive structure in the current health system is not set up to invest or pay for most of these things happening um, outside of the clinic walls. But there's reason to believe those, those financial structures will continue to evolve and shift. And I think what I've been surprised with in my first several months at Valera is how willing uh, many health plans are to think about kind of alternative funding mechanisms, both in the administrative and also medical spend dollars, which which quite frankly really surprised me. Um, and I think what we've seen with some untraditional uh, benefit structures, um, in, take physical activity, for example, you know, the, everyone, every Medicare plan covers, uh, you know, the um, a, a gym membership, essentially, for, for a senior. Mm-hmm. And the evidence here is based off of the fact that physical activity is is good. Now, right. no one ever proved that having a gym membership was going to <laughs> achieve those desired outcomes. But guess what? All the Medicare plans are Medicare Advantage plans are offering that gym membership in their benefits. And so I think we have to look at some of those less traditional models um, to say, you know, we, we, we don't have to prove everything. There's some common sense that happens here. And we're really kind of banking on both the, the, the increase in evidence, but also the common sense opportunities that seem to be really um, flourishing. Well, and you would think that access to healthy, nutritious food would be kind of common sense, right? <laughs> you would hope that that was the case. But you would I think, think part of it is, yeah, how do we ensure that that concept of, of healthy food, how do we, what can we do to help? control as much as we can to say this, whatever this is, is going to get people more likely to access and, and eat that healthy food. And I think shaping up that intervention is, is the opportunity and I think the exciting part of, of, of where we are. So if you had a food insecure person sitting in front of you and you placed in front of them a bag of potato chips and a candy bar or, you know, vegetables and fruits, I don't, I, I think it would be pretty evident of which set of food would be best for the person to eat and choose. So, I mean, any food will solve hunger. I mean, that's why there's dollar menus. Any food will solve hunger. It doesn't mean it's the best food. It doesn't mean it's best for you. But any food solves hunger. And I think 
we as leaders have a responsibility to to create great choices for the people that we serve. And that's one of the challenges we have. And not a choice between what's terrible and what's great, but between what's good and what's best. Even things like advertising dollars. I mean, and and so I, you know, I was at a... Uh, Here comes a rant. Nah, I was at a public <laughs> stakeholder meeting the other day talking about diabetes, actually, and, and food banks and the, the role we play in helping people. I said, you know, one of the things we're swimming upstream around are, are how many advertising dollars are spent on the foods that aren't best for you. And, and so, I mean, when you go to a baseball game... How many fruit and vegetable stands do you see? <laughs> right? I mean, it's not sorry, normalized, I mean, right? right I'm it's sorry. not normalized. And and that's just one example. And I'm not trying to pick on baseball. I'm just trying to say that I think as we start looking at the broader cultural issues that, that need to be impacted, I mean, when I think about non-traditional investments in healthy food, I do think we have to think very broadly to be most effective. There's there's so many different levers across the system that I think we need to keep in mind that you know even in the it, even if CMS and HHS and everything aligns and healthcare is suddenly paying for healthy foods, physical activity opportunities, uh, you know, health prevention strategies, financial wellness counseling, all of those things are suddenly available it's highly unlikely that we're going to see the drastic population changes that we all want to see and support. It's part of the puzzle. And I think that you you touch upon, there's so many things in our environment that are working against health and wellness. And I think we have a responsibility to think about, you know, what, for example, what's a food bank's role in the broader food system and what are we doing to help to help shift that and have those tough conversations? And um, I think, you know, more of that is happening, but I don't think we can push hard enough to challenge some of these more systemic realities that we all and and particularly vulnerable populations face every day so our premise for this show it's it's almost two years old now is to change the conversation about food insecurity in Michigan. That's the premise for the show. And I'm going to say this whole conversation today is an example why. Why does the conversation need to change? And it's not an accusation or a judgment. It's facing the truth about the choices we make today and how that impacts us all, right? People think the only people that benefit from the safety net are the people who are, quote-unquote, needy. And my thing is, no, this is about investing in people because it is worth making that investment. And this whole conversation has been very exciting uh, as we're talking about the things people need to know so that they can see why the conversation needs to change. And so I just want to say thanks before we run out of time for making some really good points and for investing your, as Dr. Phil says, handful of life Hmm. in such an important issue. Well, the pleasure is all mine. I, you two are some of my favorite leaders across the Food Bank Network, and it's just awesome to see, continue to push, and you continue to think about what's next and how do we continue to do better by the people and the communities that we're all trying to serve. So if I can be a small piece of that, a small part of that, I think I will, I will be um, very happy sitting at this, this other side of the table. So. Thank you all so much for for having me and for um, 
you know, your continued work. And I really look forward to, to uh, future ways that, that we can work together. Well, she's Michelle Marshall. She's the Vice President for Social Determinants of Health at Solera Health. She's our friend, our partner. And uh, Michelle, thanks so much for being our guest today on Food for Thought. It's Food for Thought with Dr. Phil Knight, presented by the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Once again, here's Dr. Phil Knight. Welcome back, everyone. Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight here. And uh, Jerry, that was Michelle Marshall with Solera Health and obviously a partner with us through the Feeding America National Organization for a number of years and has advanced this work into healthcare. I mean, probably definitely one of the thought leaders, but a catalyst for this kind of momentum as well. Yeah, tremendous passion um, and coming from a place of genuine personal interest as well as having seen so much research over the years that she's worked on this. And I, I, I mean, there's so many things I liked about what she had to say and how it relates directly with what we're trying to do here in Michigan. You know, we have said many times that this is an investment worth making. And we talked with her about having a return on investment and I thought it was interesting for her to say I did too we're so convinced of the return on investment that we want people just to do it just get out there and do this work because the math will play itself out look everyone has an estimate of their return but this is so obviously (laughs) critical just do it and you know what I was really happy to hear that I, I was too you know because I think on our side um we believe in it. We we think we know this much, and we believe we really do know that. But we do get a little obsessive about proving our impact to the point that I don't think it paralyzes us. But she's saying, just get out there and do it. It's going to prove itself. So now the challenge is to get that investment. And we talked about investment as well. So how do we get the investment to go out there and do it? Now, we've had a tremendous investment this year from Henry Ford Health System, who has been working with us on one particular pilot for people with multiple chronic conditions. And that is showing promising results. We know that those results won't be available till sometime, probably first quarter next year. But it's the... That's going to be a great show. I think so. I think so. Uh, But, of course, that's an investor, right? Right. So we continue to look for other investors. We know the DMC Foundation here locally Mm -hmm. has made an investment to help us do a project with um, the CHAS Clinic. And so that's another investor. And it's probably worth saying, you know, getting some early investments is going to be ultimately necessary if we're going to do what she said, which is just get out there and do it and make it work. I mean, it's it's not free, obviously. No, it's not. And McLaren Health System has invested in some of the other food banks, Greater Lansing Food Bank, as well as Food Bank of Eastern Michigan. And those pilots aren't quite exactly like yours. And that's a good thing, too. I mean, there's yeah. lots of different things that we can learn. But the bottom line is the people who win when we do have to come across and then believe in this right alongside of us and invest with us. 
So we know we're going to make some contacts with Solera as they're working with the Diabetes Prevention Program. That's the Kidney Foundation Program, and we're already working with them as well. Right. So, so you know, again, the the consolidation of resources, the focusing of efforts, the 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 ability to get those investments, and then believe that the math will prove itself out. I mean, I think we're on that path, and I and I'm hopeful that even in the next twelve to eighteen months, the the significance of that will be so obvious that it'll be easier for people to just get on board and run with it. Well. You know, we talked about it in the show with Michelle, but I want to get your reaction specifically to some of the comments made by the Health and Human Service Secretary. I mean, Secretary uh, Azar has, I mean, he has really rolled this thing out and the potential and possibility here. It's like he's giving permission to do just what we're talking about, which is invest in this. Yeah, and I think that when you look at what levers you can pull to really address the escalating cost of health care, it's forcing everyone to look in a very sober way about the fundamental things of life that affect our health. And to say, you know, the safety net isn't just about helping the people who are struggling. It is, it's the right thing to do morally, it's the right thing to do ethically, and it's the right thing to do financially. And, and again, it's not that people haven't tried other things. They try lots of other things first. So we right. get a little hung up on who's deserving rather than hung up on what actually works. And we're moving that forward, and I think that is important. Well, you know, w- with Michelle, we talked about not only the return on investment and investment, but what what do you what do you say that 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 healthcare is one fifth of the economy? Yeah, it was one sixth and just bumped up to one fifth. So listen to this: Health and Human Services spends over one trillion dollars a year on healthcare for seniors and low income people through Medicare and Medicaid, which far outstrips spending on other federal programs. So now we're trying, we're not just trying to shrink that expenditure, we're trying to spend it better. Exactly right. And of course, our food first philosophy is if you're going to spend better, this is something everybody needs. It's something that communicates value. It's something that demonstrates a commitment to success. It's something that keeps people at work. It's something that keeps people out of the hospital. It's something that helps children learn better in school. How many more things do you need to know before you say, food first, folks? It's just it's just common sense, right? I mean, I mean, I know we got the studies and the data and the uh, you know the the programs that that prove this, but it's just common sense, Jerry. And I think that's part of what Michelle was saying too. So it's nice when we have very knowledgeable, educated people come along and agree, isn't it? It's a, it's yeah. very affirming to me. I'm going to say, <laughs> not that it doesn't happen all the time, mind you. Right, right. You know, well, it is to have really smart people come along, come along with side of us on the show and affirm what we already think and believe. <laughs> right. So, so I guess it's time for a little food for thought, and. Um, so let's, let's jump right in. So how do these social determinants of health get played out in everyday life? And remember, the social determinants are the conditions in which people live, work, and play. So here's how. Meet Gabby, a working mom in a two-parent home with a working spouse, and she says, quote, 
No one ever thinks this is going to happen to them. When Gabby's conditions changed at work, it affected her conditions at home. The ripple effect felt like more like a tidal wave of distress. Gabby and her husband both lost their jobs. They were faced with hard choices in caring for their young family, like paying the electric bill or buying diapers. But thanks to her local food bank's mobile food pantry and the backpack program, she has enough food for her family and hope for their future. But when you have to decide, when you find yourself in this situation and you must make these hard choices, it was nice to know, she said, that there are people out there to help us. Folks, there is not a community, hospital, clinic, doctor, school, family, place of worship, business program, project, or organization of any type, anywhere, that is not affected by food insecurity. This is our problem. We should own it. Because it isn't just Gabby's problem. Her problem is our problem. And none of us are immune to this stubborn problem of hunger. It is our problem, and we should own it, and it is our problem to solve. So let's solve it. Let's not pacify it, appease it, discuss acceptable social norms of food insecurity. Let's get rid of it. Find out how you can help us tackle this socially unacceptable, stubborn problem of hunger by staying tuned to Food for Thought and subscribing to our podcast at foodsecuremichigan.org. Jerry and I are out of time for today's show. Thanks for listening and following us on our journey towards creating a food-secure Michigan. Until next week, it's food first, folks. Food first. Food for Thought has been a presentation of Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food-secure state.